So let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you so much that we can still meet together as a whole church. Thank you that um, distance doesn't mean that you're further away. You are just the same as you were yesterday, today, and you'll be the same tomorrow. Thank you so much for your promises. Thank you so much that your promises never fail, that you never fail, and that we can rely on that. Um, Lord, I pray that, pray that today we can um, encourage each other, that we can um, lean into you, worship with our whole heart, and just enjoy. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> as I've said before, the seats are all separated, so please be respectful of regulations and all that sort of stuff. I know some points of view are that why do we do this? It's not here, but we do have to respect people who are immunocompromised or who are worried about getting infected and having permanent <clears throat> problems of not waking up in the morning, that sort of stuff. So um, welcome. You can still wave. You can still say hello. This is a great time to practice your sign language. <laughs> um, yes, there isn't any Sunday school this morning. I am sorry. Um, there is also no morning tea. I think it's just too hard to coordinate who's in which room where. So the deacons and the elders have worked really hard to make sure that we can meet together, and I am grateful for that. <laughs> um, for those who are listening at home this week, we're going to sing four songs today. I'll just let you get them up on your computer if you're into Spotify or whatever. And you can sing in between uh, where we would be singing. So the first song we're going to sing would be My Redeemer Lives. The second one is Shout to the Lord. The third one is Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And we're going to finish off with To God Be the Glory. So you can get those up on your computers <clears throat> as you listen. Um, all right. If you need the toilets, they are up the ramp and through that doorway. There's a number of choices there that you have. Um, Les is going to be preaching today. How good. Um, uh, church will remain like this until further restrictions take place, if they take place, so be relaxed in the sameness of stuff. Um, it's good to practice patience and kindness. Um, please ask before you hug um, and just communicate really clearly. Um, <clears throat> and just a reminder that if it is too much on the media, on the TV, just turn it off. The power is in your hands to turn it off. I can only last for about half an hour and I've got to turn it off. So remember that too. All right, we are going to sing. Dear Lord God, thank you so much that your promises are today, tomorrow and forever. Thank you that we can celebrate what you do with your hands. Thank you that we can celebrate the beauty that you show us every day in um, flowers, in trees, in the skies, in the stars. Thank you so much that we can see love in the friends' faces and in um, people who we don't know just in a hard time, um, greeting each other. Lord, thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat just for a little bit. <clears throat> um, notices. It's pretty easy. Unfortunately, everything's cancelled except church. 
So, which is, which is funny, I guess, but it's also for those people who run those activities, it's also a bit sad because they've put lots of effort into it and they've prayed through stuff. And so <clears throat> if you normally go to one of those activities, take that time to pray. Take that time to take some time and do that sort of stuff. Ah, oh, youth group is still on at the moment. Okay. So Hev's going to um, see whether that's working or not. Um, the deacons and elders are going to meet after church at 1 um, to discuss how today went and how we might change it to make it better for next week. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Pray for them um, as well. <clears throat> um, tomorrow, another prayer thing. Um, Joe Featonby sent this to Judy, so I'm going to just read it as it is, um, but she needs and Patrick needs our prayer. Hi, Judy. I'm not sure if church is on today, but if so or not, we would love if people could pray for Pat tomorrow. The Royal Melbourne has called late last week and have organised Pat's ablation surgery to be tomorrow at 7am. We've been here since Thursday last week for tests. Please pray for continued peace for Pat for us and a steady hand for the surgeon so that he will be content whatever the outcome. Also, Pat remains healthy, that they won't, they won't do any surgery even if he has the smallest sign of any sickness. So he has to be completely free of um, any kind of diseasey thing. So 7 o'clock tomorrow, um, <clears throat> please pray for Pat. We're going to pray for him in a moment. Um, also, before we pray, offering will be not done in the normal way. There is the offering box around the door at the back. So on your way out, um, you can pop it in there. Yes. All right. Let's pray for Pat and the world at large and, um, we'll sing another song and then Les can come up and do his thing. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. Um, I want to bring to before, before you today Pat and Joe and um, little Theo. Lord, I pray that you have them wrapped up in your arms and that you are protecting them from every kind of sickness that could um, happen to them. Lord, I pray for Pat's surgery tomorrow that the surgeon who comes in is so with it and so on the ball that he's able to do it without any mistakes or any slips or anything like that. I pray that you would give Pat... Um, complete and utter ununderstandable peace that he's completely calm and that he's able to come in and come out and even make a massively cool recovery. Um, Lord, you are the maker of the universe. You know exactly how our bodies are made and put together and how all the bad stuff works and the good stuff. Lord, I pray that you have just good stuff in store for Joe and Pat and Theo this week. Lord, for the people who are ill all around the world, Lord, I pray you would be especially close to those um, and their families. Lord, I pray for a sense of peace to come across Australia and a sense of um, um, wisdom <clears throat> in how to deal with um, things that aren't available or that are available. Um, Lord, in many times of... Um, 
uh, I guess, constrained circumstances, disasters, I guess, with fires and floods and plagues and things, which this town has seen and Victoria has seen. I pray that we as a community can be together and can hold each other up and support each other. Um, I pray that you would encourage us to speak out when we need to and to not speak when we need to. Um, Lord, for this week, the last week of term for schools, um, there's a lot of kids out there who are really unsettled and unsure about what this means when there's a massive disease coming that's going to take over the world. Lord, I pray you'd give the teachers wisdom as how to deal with each class and each um, situation where it comes up. Lord, I pray that the peace that you promise us would drop down on us like the thunderstorms that happen um, here or have happened here in the recent months. Lord, I pray for the government as they um, progressively make things more and more constrained, that they have wisdom and that they have um, an understanding of how life is on the ground in the country and in the city and that they can make really wise choices as well. Um, for today, Lord, and this week, I pray that you would um, keep us aware of the people who may be in need or keep an ear open for people who may be um, feeling lonely, alone, and that we would be able to create ways of interacting and being supportive of them too. Thank you so much that you still give us joy, you still give us peace, and you still are with us in every single way. In Jesus' name, amen. <sighs> Let's sing. And then, Les, I'll ask you to come up after the song. So we're going to sing Jesus, Lover of My Soul. <clears throat> cool, thank you. Please take a seat and thank you, Les. Morning. <laughs> How are we doing? Well, it's a little bit different, but anyway, um, just been looking at Facebook and things like that, what's happening in the uh, um, open doors, uh, actually doing home church and, and that sort of thing. So this we can sort of have a little bit of an, an idea what it's like for the persecuted church and for those churches that cannot meet at this time, the persecuted churches that are... Um, stuck on the ground and meet together in different ways. They still gather together in ones and twos and threes and fours and fives and that's what's going to happen here for the foreseeable future, however long it might happen. But uh, yeah, we'll get together this morning and we'll worship God and we'll see what he's got to say to us through his word this morning. So before we go any further, we'll just uh, commit it to prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll get stuck into it. So let's pray. Thanks, God. Thanks for we're here this morning for your uh, for this time to be able to worship you in this way. Father, for those that are at home this morning, just bless them. Some might sit and watch songs of praise and some may listen to the Christian radio. Some may be looking and listening to different podcasts and different uh, live feeds from different churches and we thank you for these resources and for those putting those together. 
Father, we believe that you are here this morning and your Holy Spirit has free reign to do as he will, to touch lives, to open hearts, open ears, open minds to what you have to say for us this morning and to us. And now we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So I probably need to preach for at least for an hour so that the kettle will warm up before we can have morning tea. So, <coughs> All right. This is uh, the last book of 1 Corinthians or the last chapter in 1 Corinthians. This is the 38th instalment of the series that Bob started whenever, <coughs> quite a while ago. So we're looking at the passage this morning mainly in chapter 16. Then we'll do a recap of the book and finishing in what we have been able to uh, take from the series. So if you just open your Bible this morning um, and if we get up on the uh, screen, thank you very much. And we'll be starting at verse 58 of um, chapter 15 <clears throat> and then we'll be reading the whole of chapter 16. So a little bit later we'll be able to see that uh, why we've chosen at, at uh, chapter um uh, 1558. So it says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. <clears throat> now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the very first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Saving it up so when I come to the, uh, come, no collection will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to men you approve, uh, and then send them with your gift to Jerusalem. It seems advisable for me to go also, if it seems advisable, then they will accompany me. So a personal request is ahead, heading here, and it says, after I go <coughs> through Macedonia, I will come to you, I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because of the great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes to see, uh, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urge him to go uh, to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. But be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, uh, to submit to such as these as everyone who joins in the work and labours that are at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus and Archius arrived because they had surprised, supplied me with lacking, uh, what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. These such men deserve recognition. These final greetings are to the churches in the province of Asia. Send your greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. 
and so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I might do it a little bit different this morning. Um, have a look at some of the themes in the passage, and we're going to start at verse 5 and um, of chapter 16, and then we're going to come back to uh, the first four verses on the collection, and then it'll make it a bit aware why we started from verse 58 and what the collection, and the, the theme around this and what's been the theme about the, through the whole book. Uh, so we'll start in verse 5 to 9, and Paul was coming to them via Macedonia to spend some time with the winter with them, and it was, a, as I said, a brief description in um, Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, gives a uh, brief description of what was happening to him in Ephesus. Originally, he was going to go to Corinth, but he went through Macedonia, through possibly through Philippi, after hearing a plot of the Jews to harm him. In Acts 20, verse 4, it says he stayed in Greece for three months, which is probably in Corinth or Archia. We can tell what time of year it is because of his reference to Pentecost. So it may have been around about the Passover time, which was 50 days before Pentecost, or Pentecost is 50 days after, after the Passover time. So we can tell around that time of year where he was and when he was. And even though he was to, keen to go to Corinth, he wasn't keen to leave the work. He didn't want to leave the work he was doing he had in Ephesus. He saw many openings for people to receive the gospel under trying circumstances. Now, Paul, adversaries were almost part of his daily life and his work, he didn't shirk his responsibilities. And that's a little bit familiar with what we've got at the moment with adversaries. That's part of our daily life. We don't shirk our responsibilities too to our congregation also to the, the world at large. Maybe it was under this authority of Paul he was able to say to the Corinthians in verse 13 of the chapter to stand firm and be strong in your faith. In under adversaries, like it would be in the persecuted church, they don't ask for being able to take out of there, but to stand firm, to stand strong where they are. So Paul's desire here was not to have a fleeting visit, but to spend some quality time with the church he nurtured. Not only was he acting as an apostle, he was also acting as a pastor to his flock. In verses 10 and 11, Timothy's arrival was mentioned in chapter 4 and verse 13 of Corinthians. Uh, he was Paul's understudy and he was tasked with leading the church in Ephesus and what a great and hard job he had there as a young bloke. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, Paul called him his true child in Christ. So the relationship was more than just a working one on a level of Paul's love for the worker as Christ loved his church. Timothy's role was to go ahead, to, uh, to, to, ahead of Paul to Corinth to help to sort out some of the visions and problems before Paul came. So this ministry he had in Ephesus was very similar to that, the um, things he was sorting out there as he headed up the church, as written down in 1 Timothy. So even though Timothy was young, he was well-grounded in his faith. He had passed down from his grandmother and from his mother, and he was a, a product of that and also a product of Paul's uh, nurturing of them. So Paul admonishes the Corinthians, verse 11, don't despise him. 
So the job he was going to be doing in Corinth was um, an onerous one, but they were to treat him with the same respect they would if Paul was telling them about their disputes, etc. And that's very important, isn't it, that uh, they respected Timothy as well as they respected Paul. This is a similar admonition, admonishment that Paul gave to Ephesians in 1 Timothy 4.12, not to despise Timothy because of his youth. So the church here, it's important to recognise that our youth are part of the church. We hear the phrase at times, maybe often sometimes, that they are the church of the future. This assumption is wrong. Like any member of the church, from the babies to us that are middle-aged, well, those are middle-aged to us who are a little bit older, they are a part of the church now, not to come. They are part of the church now. They have a church, a place within the church, as well as us who are older. It is those of us who are older and more mature in our faith to pass in our knowledge to those who are younger physically and spiritually so that they may be developing their gifting that God has placed in them. For our younger people and those in their mid-20 upwards, we need to be mentoring them in the, in the ways of the church and helping them to grow in their faith and to study of and how to interpret the scriptures as well as life lessons on living the Christian faith in a faithless world as to give them the skills to become leaders now and in the future. As for the youth, many of them will be going off to university and it's our job to ground them in the faith. It's our job to support the families to ground them in their faith now so that when they go down there and Dick sees them when he's down there doing the, um, the Gideon's work, that they'll know that they know Christ and they know what they know, what they know, what they know. It is our responsibility to do that. And it is incumbent upon us to help and the youth as well to move on and move up. Just as Paul mentioned Timothy and took him as his own son, we need to look at our younger members of the family which are in Christ. They are family. This forms... Uh, this, to form this unity as a body of believers to want the best for all our congregation. By doing this, we're instilling them a desire to reach out to those outside of the church and we want the best for them and what they may want and we have in a personal relationship with Jesus to teach our younger people to reach out like that so that they can see in them what we have and that's our, our job as well to reach out to the communities at this time. So Apollos in verse 12 wanted to come to Corinth, but it was not part of God's will for him to come at that time, but he would come an opportunity when the opportunity arose. So it was good that Apollos listened to what God's will was for him instead of barging in. So we need to be very careful when we go to listen to God first and leading his Holy Spirit before we go, before we do. And if we stay, that's it, to lead and to not to go. As we remember part of the letter... Uh, early on, Apollos and Paul were being argued over as who they should follow. This was one of the disputes and divisions recorded in the letter. As mentioned before, Paul gave instructions in verse 13 and 14 to be strong in their faith and courageous and he adds here to do everything in love. To do everything in love. To be unified in their love for one another gave them cause to be unified in their love for those outside the church. 
if they couldn't get along with each other, how were they going to get along with people in the community, those that they were trying to reach? In 13, 15 to 18, we have Stephanus uh, from Archia, who's commended for being one of the first converts in the area. Now, Archia, as we've probably seen, was a town that's just uh, a little bit further to the north. I think uh, Greece sort of goes in like that, and then Corinth is down there and Archia's over the other side, sort of one of the closer towns, and um, they were working there as well as in Corinth, and um, whether it was cross-pollination between the two communities, I don't know how well they got on. Um, I'm not well up on my Greek history, and uh, Stella's not here this morning to be able to tell me what it might be. So... Um, so Stephanus and his family was commended for their service to the saints. And this service was not in the area of preaching and teaching, but the area of welfare and uh, what they were doing in the collection for the saints was important. Uh, so Paul recommended them and recognised the way of the Corinthians and what they were doing in the collection. Paul tells them in um, verse 16 to be subject to them and their fellow workers. This goes in keeping with what James says, about faith and service. Without service, your faith is stifled and should be now working your faith in the service of others. Within the church today, we serve each other in many ways through meals, visitation or even being there in difficult situations. Not only is an outworking of our faith, but builds us up within unity within the body. Verse 17 and 19, Paul is pleased to have Stephanus and his entourage visit him in Ephesus. No doubt they were able to bring good news, uh, bring news from Paul about the uh, church in Corinth, how things were going, and it seems in Paul's comments here that he was quite pleased with what they brought to him. Paul once again exhorts the Corinthians to give recognition to these men. Verse 19 and 20, Paul says that uh, he sends his greeting from the church in Asia, or in there. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila, and... Uh, these two saints were originally um, in Corinth and they were tent makers and Paul used to go and stay with them and um, <clears throat> it says that one stage he stayed probably two or three years with them. So about 18 months it was probably uh, they followed and then um, they followed him to Ephesus. So this was all part of Paul's ministry and his uh, outworking. As we know, Paul never asked for people to pay him, went for his work as an apostle, which he had the right to do. But he worked as a tent maker so that he was able to support himself there. And you can imagine that Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, who uh, may have come to the Lord a short time before, but may have been long standing, but the times they may have spent together just in fellowship one with another and to, to spend some time together. And it's great to be able to meet together in that way. And we do meet together in congregations large and small, but we also meet together in twos and threes. And as God promised, that his spirit will be there among them. And as they met, um, met together in twos and threes, they were able to build each other up, to have, um, have fellowship and to argue and to really bring the things out in each other. And iron could strike iron in that time too. And they did have a house church near Ephesus, and I think they may have had a house church when they were in Corinth as well. End of verse 20, Paul tells the Corinthians, Corinthians to greet each other with a holy kiss. I thought that was a little bit ironic today, that we're all sitting 1.5 metres apart and we've got our four square metres of everything, but um, greet each other with a holy kiss. So maybe we can. <laughs> I don't know, but we can still not even shake hands, but we can wave 
we can tell each other, we can smile. But our love for each other and our unity in Christ can be expressed in many ways, encouraging words, a smile, eye contact. And uh, this is not a time not to be caring and loving, not a time not to be caring and loving, but the opposite, a time when we can embrace each other in different ways. This is probably good uh, now for those that um, have a thing about personal space and that uh, they're able to have their own personal space at this time. But uh, it would be nice if we all of us sit together and give each other a hug, but yeah, God knows what he's doing. So verse 21 to 24, Paul's writing with his own hands suggested that he's emphasising the importance of this letter. And like we do in texts and emails, you know, when we do and we get an email from someone that's all in capitals, and they're going, hmm, that's loud. <laughs> Paul wasn't yelling at them, but he was not very happy with them. So when he writes that and he says, I'm writing this with my own hand, it's because he's serious about it. He hasn't got someone else to do it. He's serious about what he's trying to tell them. So Paul's emphasis, however, was not happy with those who received this letter. And he's mentioned in verse 22, for those who have no love for the Lord, it's being repeated from earlier parts of the letter. We saw that at the end of a few other chapters to do that. So now we go back to the first part of the letter, the collection for the saints or um, uh, however it's put in, the, in here for, yeah, the collection for God's people. And that's the reason why we go back to uh, verse 58. Chapter 15 is this. The next part of Paul's discourse um, about the contribution follows on from this verse here. So he's finished up talking about the resurrection and introducing a new theme with the encouragement for the Corinthians. So as we know that this is one letter and it's been all um, diced up later. So this contribution here, whoops, don't touch your face. This contribution here uh, was for the struggling churches in, in Jerusalem. There was a famine at the time in Jerusalem and Paul was collecting money from the Corinthians as he had with the Galatians. His instructions were clear. The collection was to taken up on the first day of the week uh, this would be typically when they met together in their house church or whatever it was. So it wasn't um, it was a, what they were able to give and it was possibly maybe an over and above what they needed because even that was a home church, it would have been costs and needs. And um, it was given what they could. The collection would then be taken by trusted people up to Jerusalem and if Paul was needed, he would go to he would send letters of introduction, which was a, a practice which they did um, in that time. Now, the church in Jerusalem were going through a famine at that time and um, whether that famine was because of they were the Christians, they were being um, isolated as it was or, or not being able to, to do what they were doing. So this collection was very important to them and Paul goes through in different parts in Acts and Galatians and other places and he gets this organised in the second Corinthians as well, this collection of taking up to the, the people of the, uh, the saints up there in Jerusalem. So one of the motives behind the collection, apart from giving physical help to the saints, was it gave the Corinthians unity in the faith and in the struggling church in Jerusalem. With the Corinthians suffering many divisions, this was one way of teaching them and promoting unity outside of their own church. 
As we give our money today, we are united for the work of the church in Kerrang. And we have many overheads and things to do, but we need to be doing that. And it's part of our responsibility to give back a portion of what God has given us. Not only for our own church, but for our missionaries, uh, giving binds us in unity to those serving here and overseas. And so we're meeting their needs and we're uniting with them in the furtherance of the gospel. We support them financially and are able to serve in whatever capacity they are called to. Our offerings are not out of duty as this becomes legalistic, but out of love for Jesus and what he is giving us and as an act of worship. It helps us recognise that all we have and had and all that we do comes from God and our time, activities and whatever we do belongs to God. So for the Christians... There's no such thing as secular or sacred. As Christians, we do all that we do is sacred. From our work to our time in church to our leisure time, we do this in acts of worship to God. And when we come to fellowship on Sunday, we come from worship in our everyday lives to worship in church. And when we come to fellowship on Sunday, we come from worship in our everyday lives to worship in church because what we do out there is sacred, it's not secular, whether we're in a secular job or whatever it might be, everything we do is for God and everything we do is in worship. So to put it another way, our lives are lived in worship to God and this worship brings us together in unity with the body of Christ. So just let's have a look at the recap of the letter we've just looked at. It's been possible to look all the messages here and again, the other 37 of them because um, I don't have to, but some people have to go to work this week, and we could be here then, and the kettle will be boiled by then. (laughs) A lot of the themes within this letter focus on division as well as allowing worldly practices into the worship. We've had a look at a few of those and uh, first and see how Paul has given them an answer to the vision at the end. So before we go and study some... Before we do, we've studied some passages in this book that have challenged us, such as head coverings, speaking in tongues, women and leadership. These topics, I believe, were held well handled by Bob and his explanation and teaching were clear and succinct. We will not keep going back over these topics again today. But when we get to the end of Paul's answer uh, to these things with the Corinthians church, we'll resonate here today. Sorry. But when we get to the end of Paul's answer to these things within the Corinthian church, it will resonate here today. As we saw as in chapter 1, that not all that, um, that these issues arose around disunity within the church to who they should follow, whether Paul or Cephas or Peter, or his name is, or Apollos. In chapter 5, the Corinthians were allowing immorality to occur. Chapter 6, they were bringing lawsuits to one another, which was causing division. Chapter 8 was spent a lot of time on food offering to idols. Chapter 9, Paul tells them all things that he is all things to all men as an apostle of Christ. This he brings unity within the body by meeting people where they are without watering down the gospel. Chapter 11, we saw the Lord's Supper, the disunity within the church and the pagan practices and selfishness of some of the members were eating and drinking in cliques with no regard for their fellow members. We saw that communion was a common union with each other. Chapter 12, focus on the spiritual gifts, and Paul used the analogy of the body being made of many parts 
and each part having giftings that complemented each other's part. Chapter 14, we saw that the Corinthians' obsession of speaking in tongues and the one-upmanship that was caused as a result of disunity there. And in that one, Paul exhorted them to seek the higher gifts that built up the church, not the ones that were for their own selfish, not the ones that would build themselves up. Also in this chapter, spent a lot. Of, Bob spent a lot of time talking on women's leadership from Corinthians and 1 Timothy. Chapter 15, focus on the resurrection and the teachings that had come into the church and Paul's need to correct these. And today we see what chapter 16 brings. So from this quick praise in the letter, turn your Bibles back to um, chapter 13. So I'll be reading from 11b of chapter 12 through to chapter to um, verse 8 of chapter 13. And uh, a lot of people could probably quote this, but this is Paul's answer to all the divisions and the things what it is. So if we go back from 12 uh, of 11b of chapter 12, In my Bible it starts there saying love. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have the faith which can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If, you give, if I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anchored. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We'll leave it there. So all the things that were happening within the, within the Corinthian church stemmed a lot of it from divisions, from selfishness, from letting things come in that were not and were um, pagan practices. So we see his answer there, and that is love. Love for God, love for each other. The love mentioned here, as we know, there's four sorts of love in the Greek language. And this is agape, or unconditional, or pure love. And this is a love that God has for us, and that love that Jesus demonstrated to us. This is the gospel. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that Corinthians accepted, uh, um, that the Corinthians had accepted is wrapped up in this chapter. So that's what they accepted in chapter 15 there, that was the gospel that Paul preached to them. And any practices that were worldly, they would not accept. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they're unable to live in unity as they were supposed to. So here we've come to the end of the letter. There's been 38 things. We've had some things which have been able to challenge us, some things have been able to comfort us. And in this chapter here, we know that God's love reigns. So what now? We say, well, that was great. We've done Corinthians. Tick. We've enjoyed it. Um, some of us may not have enjoyed it as much as others. We can just do that and say, move on. 
Can anyone remember what Bob preached on when we looked at Joshua? Remember what he preached on when we looked at John? And when we looked at Philippians, some of the things that were preached on then, do they record in their memories? Probably not. There's only one or two things that maybe do. Or do we take on board the teaching that was given here and apply it to our own circumstances? It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, and we probably all should be able to quote this, all scriptures God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We can probably reread the book and highlight the things within our own lives or our church. We have our choice and it's up to us to prayerfully, take the, um, prayerfully make the choices that God wants of us. So what can we take from the letter? As Paul said in chapter 13 on love, is the answer to all things that were battling, they were battling in the Corinthians. So going back to the main theme in the book, a lot of it is on unity. Today with the coronavirus, we're being challenged in how we continue to meet. Today things will look a lot different in our services, we can see as we've, we've mentioned, and how we go about things and how we go about life in the outside world. And if we're looking at what's happening in America and other places, it may even get tougher, too, tougher still. For some of us, it may be distressing. And if you come along this morning, it's been distressing for you. Thank you for facing your fears for coming along this morning and being here. As a church, we face uncertainty whether we can continue to meet in this way. We are challenged on how to maintain pastoral care and unity. These times can go and do cause stress. So the advice of chapter 13 is paramount. It is a love of God for each other we've put these measures in place. And if further measures need to be put in place, it's the same as well as love for those outside the church. Is what we're doing showing love to those outside the church? That's a big question. And just to go back, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't want its own way. It's never boastful or jealous. It does not rejoice in wrongs, but rejoices in right. In this verse, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we are united through Christ, through his love as we stand together. So let's make a commitment to ask the Holy Spirit to indwell us, that we may have God's unconditional love in us and going forth from us to each other and to the world around so today I'd like to finish with a song, no, I'm not going to sing it, from a cantata by John W. Peterson. I'm going to read it as a prayer. It's called Teach Me to Love. Teach me to love. This is my prayer. May the compassion of thy heart I share. Ready a cup of water to give. May I unselfishly for others live. To cheerless lives and bleak, bleak but kindness I would speak, the good of all I seek. And when I'm wronged by others, help me to smile and turn the cheek. And the chorus is, so in my heart thy goodness prove. As thou hast loved, O Lord, teach me to love. Teach me to love. This is my plea. May all the Spirit's graces shine through me. Tear from my heart hate foolish pride. Teach me to live like Christ, the crucified. Help me to counteract with wise restraint and tact the thoughtless work, word or act. And when I hear dark rumours, 
not pass them on as truth or fact. So in my heart, thy goodness prove. As that has loved, O Lord, teach me to love. Thank you.